At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Newish. Everything's changed, have you? Where we're celebrating that in Christ, we have been given new life. The only question is, are you living it? Let's turn to Romans chapters five through seven to decipher whether we're living in Christ's freedom or trapped in the patterns of our old life. All right, this morning, if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to take it out and turn with me to the book of Romans. We're going to be in Romans chapter 5 today. Uh, Begin looking in verse 12. So go ahead and turn there in your Bibles with me. For those of you that uh, uh, weren't able to be a part of the the Warren campus camp out, it was an amazing time. I I woke up this morning from the campground. We were worried it was going to rain and all that, and rains held off, and so I was able to get in my car and drive down uh, this morning. But we had just a fantastic time of worship last night and just a wonderful time of of um, fellowship together. And so we'll be doing that again sometime in the future. Uh, those that went who are like, hey, this is such an amazing success. So be on the lookout for uh, the camping trip to come in the future. And uh, yeah, as you're turning to Romans chapter five, um, we were reminded yesterday of the 20th anniversary of, of 9-11. I remember I spent some time yesterday reflecting on that September day over 20 years ago as I was glued to my TV, as many of us were, as we sat there and watched the, this horrendous attack begin to unfold before us, as we watched evil rear its ugly head, and to see this attack that was motivated by hatred. I was reminded of, of the times in which from that, that day and as we went on, there were many, many people that were asking questions like, how did this happen? Like, how do we get in this mess? Why, why is life filled with pain? Why is life so dangerous? As it, almost as though as, as a nation, our, our sense of peace and security were kind of threatened in an instant. I remember having several conversations um, after that just about people looking and just saying, where does our peace come from? Can, can our peace really come from our nation? Can our peace really come from, uh, un- or from wars ending and all of that other stuff? As we walk through that painfully dangerous time, peace seemed to be the overriding theme. Like, wh- why don't we have peace? Where can our peace come from? And, you know, even as I've begun reflecting over like the past two years, as, as we've experienced different things as a nation and, and as people, it seems as though even from, from 9-11, as we walk through a season of, of like almost instantaneous unity, it's almost as though we were reminded once again, like what makes us um, great as Americans is that we have freedom, that there are people in the world that would die to have the freedoms that we have. And yet it seems like the lessons that we learned, the unity that we experienced in those days right after 9-11, now are in the distant past. And no longer are we experience peace and unity, but we've become a nation, we've become a people that are so deeply divided that I can divide a room, I could even divide this room this morning by just saying a couple of sentences. 
then we'd have this part of the room that says, yeah, I agree with you. And then we have this part of the room that says, you are the spawn of Satan. It's that deeply divided. You can't walk anywhere. You can't say anything without offending someone today. And so I want us to understand, we sense it, you sense it, I know you feel it, that the desperate need of our hearts today is peace. We desperately need peace. But I want you to understand, it's never going to come from a political leader. It's never going to come from a political party. It's never going to come from a business. It's never going to come from wealth. It's never going to come from success. Peace can only come through Jesus Christ. And this is what we began looking at last week as we are diving into Romans chapter 5. You see, God understands that the deep need of our soul is peace. But he also knows that he is the only one that can give us peace. So before we can even expect to have peace between each other, before we can even expect, expect to have peace in our marriage, before we can ever have, expect to have peace as, as a nation, it has to begin first by having peace with God. That's where it starts, and that's what we began looking at last week, that peace with God is only possible through the work of Jesus. And we can personally experience this peace when we personally place our faith in the work of Jesus. And so today, as we look, begin looking at the second part of chapter 5, we're going to begin to understand how this peace with God was broken. Like, how, why is the world all messed up? Why is everything in chaos? And why is everything not working, moving towards more of a peaceful end, but more of a destructive and divisive end? So we're going to see how, how we got in this mess. And then what we're going to see is that peace was afforded through the work of one man, Jesus. Just as much as we lost everything, we lost peace through the sin of one man. So this morning, I, I, in order for us to understand this text, we, we need to go back to the Garden of Eden. Going back to the Garden of Eden where peace was lost. And it's important that we go back there so that we can understand where we move forward. That we must understand that we can only experience peace if we first believe and understand that God has created everything. That has to be the starting point. We have to believe and understand that there is a God who has created all things. Because if we live in a life where we want to deny that there is a God, that deny the existence of a creator, and we want to embrace an ideology, a secular ideology that says that we got here by a sense of chance, they were in a whole heap of a mess. So let me just briefly, this isn't in the text today, but let me just briefly give you a case for a creator. Just so we can have that understanding, because you may be here and you're like, you know what, I, I've been taught my whole life that evolution is the way that has happened. Like, it, it is just like, even in the scientific realm, people no longer question it, they just embrace it. Because it's the only thing being taught, it's the only thing being um, experienced. 
And so I want to give you just a case for a creator, just for a moment. You see, the problem without there being a God, there can be no peace. There are many that believe that we got here by chance. And I I want you to see and understand that that kind of goes, that fully goes against the second law of thermodynamics. You guys remember thermodynamics from high school science? The second law of thermodynamics says that as time goes on, that entropy continues to increase, which is the idea of randomness. That as time moves on down the continuum of time, that things become more and more random as, as they move on. So my question to that is, if time is moving on and things become more random and more random and random, how do things that are moving in the, towards randomness become organized? You following me? So to, to have this understanding of evolution that, that says that randomness moves along to organization, that you have that random things, particles bumping into each other and becoming more random, that somehow they begin to, to unify themselves and come together to form life or structures. That's deeply challenging to me. So you got the second law of thermal dynamics going against that idea to, to, face, to place faith in evolution, one has to believe that randomness leads to organization. It's a huge leap of faith to look at things that clearly have been designed, that have some design to them, that have some structure to them, that have meaning. It's deeply challenging to believe that design has come from chance. Even as much as the secular world blindly believes this, I mean, we can, we can take a look at it. How many of you guys have a smartphone? Go ahead and take it out and just take a look at your smartphone just for a moment. I don't have mine on me. You look at that and you look at that thing and you, you, you look at that, that phone and you say, this phone necessarily had a designer. There's no way that a, a phone could beget another phone, right? That just doesn't happen. So there had to be something outside of that design that actually designed that. So a phone can't make a phone, so something other than a phone had to make that phone. And you can see that it's with the design. So what if I were to tell you that a long, long time ago, millions of years ago, random particles that somehow began to exist moved together and collided and there was a big, big explosion and from that things began to organize themselves. And that somehow one day I walked out into the street and from this ooze from the ground, I see an iPhone coming out of the ground. Anyone have a problem with that? Right, you would think I was crazy. Right, you would say, you have lost your mind. There's no way that an iPhone can come from some primordial ooze. It just doesn't happen that way. Exactly. Exactly. Another way of taking a look at it real quickly is that in order for there to be a a creation, in order there to be an existence, we need three things. You need time, you need space, and you need matter, right? And in order for uh, life to actually happen, in order for things to come together, those three things have to happen simultaneously, Right, you have to have, at an instant, you have to have time, space, and matter coming into existence in order for things to happen. You're like, well, how, how do you know this? Well, if you have matter, where are you going to put it? 
right? You have to have space. And let's say you have, you have time or you, uh, you have uh, matter and you have space. Well, then when are you going to put it? Right? You need those three things to come into existence all the same time. And it can't just happen. That can't happen by chance. But if we go to the very first words, the first 10 words of Scripture, this is what we see. It says, in the beginning time, God created the heaven, heavens, space, and earth matter simultaneously instantaneously we see the god who always was and who always will be instantaneously speaking creation into being and from that all things flow and in his creation what god where god began is in this garden of eden there In the Garden of Eden, God created two perfect beings, Adam, male, and Eve, female, who in time and in that unique place were perfect in form and perfect in fellowship with the God of the universe. Scripture tells us that Adam and Eve walked with God on the earth in the cool of the day. There was nothing that separated them from their their creator. They were at peace. And in God's creation, in his created order, what he said was, Adam and Eve, you have all this freedom to enjoy all the things that I have created for you. But there's one provision. Do not eat of the fruits of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you do, you will surely die. All that freedom. And one, one thing was withheld, which was actually a bad thing. God wanted to save them from something that was bad. And yet we learn in the story, we learn in the biblical account that they ate It wasn't enough just to have all this freedom. But Adam disobeyed, ate of the fruit, and from that moment on, man's position before a holy God was forever changed. And today, what we're going to see from our text is that our lives are ruled by the act of one man. Your life today is ruled by the act of one man. And we're going to look at that. You have a choice today which man you are going to allow your life to be ruled by. Today we're going to look at how one act from Adam cursed humanity and how one act of Jesus offers a cure to all humanity. So let's begin looking in our text today and we're going to see three, we're going to look at uh, the text from three different positions. We're going to see what was lost in Adam, what was regained in Christ, and where we have the opportunity to choose. All right, let's look beginning in verse 12 of chapter 5. Paul writes, therefore, just as sin came in the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one that was to come. So what we're going to begin taking a look at is Paul is, is looking at Adam. And what we're going to see, in Adam, death reigns. 
In Adam, death reigns. What Paul has been doing prior to this that we looked at last week is that Paul has been making a case in the previous verses saying that we have been reconciled to God through the death of Jesus and saved by the life of Jesus. And because of that, because of what Jesus has done, those that believe in Jesus are no longer enemies of God, but they have peace with God through Jesus. So Jesus makes all of the difference. And some may say, as as Paul is writing, he's trying to defend the fact of saying, well, how can one man make such a difference? How is it that the man Jesus could make a difference for all eternity? And how could one man bring peace with God? Well, Paul's going to go back and he says, it's because of Adam that Christ had to come and fix what Adam broke. Adam, we see knew the commands of God. Don't eat, knowing that as soon as you eat, you will have knowledge of good and evil and you will be separated from God. And so in that moment, in that instant, sin came into being and it came into the world. And as we see here, just as sin came into the world through rebellion, through disobedience, it came through one man and death through sin. So we see that sin comes into the world and immediate consequence of sin is death. And then it doesn't just die there, but death spreads to all men because all sinned. So sin brings death and death death spreads to all and death reigns. It's like this deadly virus of sin spreads to all humanity. And every person that has breath tests S-I-N positive. You get that? It's the damaging effects, far-reaching effects of Adam's disobedience get spread on down. It's almost as though inside of our spiritual DNA because we are offspring of Adam, it's his sinful nature has been passed on down to each one of us and we inherit it from our fathers. So from the start, we are born enemies because we've inherited this spiritual, the sinful spiritual gene. Another way of saying it, a theological way of saying it is, is that Adam's sin was imputed to all people. That means it was passed on down. So what he did, the consequences then are passed on down to everyone that came after him. And so Paul, after driving this home, he gives us in verses 13 and 14, he talks about sin was in the world before the law. And so what he's saying is before the law came, there were a lot of people that lived. And though they may not have really understood that they, of what God's law was, they still sinned. And yet every single one of them had the consequences of Adam because every one of them died. Every single person. From Adam until the time that the law came through Moses, every one of them died. And so he's saying even though their sin wasn't counted against them because they didn't know what they were, they were sinning, but they didn't really understand what they were doing, but they all died because of the consequences of Adam. So he's showing us the deep, deep destruction of sin. Paul then concludes this paragraph by saying of Adam that he was a type of one that was to come. And this is what Paul's entire point is about our redemption. 
So as Adam stood as a representative, as head over all humanity, in his actions he sinned, and his sin was imputed to every one of the human race. So in Adam we all sin, and in Adam we all die. Now you may be sitting there and you're like, wait a minute, that's not fair. That's not fair. I didn't do that. Why is it that sin, that the Adam's sin has consequences in my own life? I have no chance at having peace with God because of what Adam did? That's not fair. Why am I implicated in Adam's trespass? Well, I'll tell you why. There's a theological term for it, which I'll explain, and we see it here. It's called federal headship. Federal headship meaning that that humanity begins with one representation by the actions of the federal head have implication on all the lives that that federal head represents. You're like, wait a minute. That's still kind of challenging for me to think through. Well, let me give you another example. You guys ever read the book, The Hunger Games, or watch the movie, The Hunger Games? Okay, in this, uh, this movie or in this, this story, each year tributes from each of the different districts are chosen to represent their district in the annual gladiator death match. And the story that we, we see unfolds as um, Katniss Everdeen, who had, whose sister is chosen to be the tribute for, for her district. It's her younger sister, and so Katniss says, you know what, instead of you, I'm gonna step in your place. So she volunteers herself to go be a part of the Hunger Games in her sister's place. And the whole idea of the Hunger Games is that those two tributes from each of those districts go into the Gladiator Games, and how you do in the Gladiator Games determines how your district is treated. So if, you, if someone from your district wins the, the, the Hunger Games, then that next year, then your specific district gets blessed with food and with time and all these other things from the capital. But if your tribute dies, then that next year, not only do you lose someone from your district, but you're lost without hope for that next year. Maybe you're not into science fiction Another way of looking at it. In America, we have people that represent us all the time. In America, we have a federal head, right? It's the president. The president sits as federal head over our country. And whether or not you voted for the president or not, that president represents you. So if that president does something good for the country, we benefit. If that president does something bad for the country, then we live in the consequences of that. Is that fair? Yeah, so we, we, we always have representatives in our lives. And so today, um, we live in a country that we always have representation, right? We have representation on the city level, on the local level. You have representation even in your schools with the school board. You have representation on the state level. We have representation on the federal level and the national level. We understand this. Even our founding fathers were federal heads because the decisions that they made back in the late 1700s and early 1800s now have implication on our lives today. So we see this and we experience it. And it has to be this way because just as one man sinned, bringing death and destruction to all men, we need one man, 
to come and save us all. So it's a good thing. It's a good way that God has has left it all out there. So in Adam, we are all separated from God. We're all dead in our trespasses and sins. And each one of us have also sinned ourselves. So therefore, we are even more liable because we've broken the law. So in Adam, his sin is our sin. His guilt is our guilt. His death is our death. And here's the scary thing, is that all humanity for all time have been found in Adam. Maybe you're still here this morning and you're still found in Adam. So Adam's trespass, Adam's sin has been carried on down to you and this morning you are liable for Adam's sin. That's the bad news. That's the bad news. And that's why we feel so much pain. That's why we feel so disconnected. That's why we feel such a loss of peace because death reigns. Death is in control. Death is, death is the, the primary thing that the world experiences today because everyone that's been given life, life all experience death. So today, if you are in Adam, sin is your master and death is your destiny. But that's not where it ends. From verse 18 we learn about what Jesus has done. So we're gonna skip on down a, a few verses. Look with me at 18. In verse 18, we're gonna see, in Jesus, grace reigns. He says, therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, there were many made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what we see here in in verses um, 13 and 15, we're going to skip that just for a second because Paul kind of goes off on a tangent as he's been talking about the repercussions of of man's sin. And then he kind of back at, at verse 18, he's coming back to his original thoughts. And so he repeats, as one trespass leads to the condemnation for all men. See, it's Adam's trespass was different than just sin. Because to sin simply means to miss God's standard, right? To simply miss the mark. God says, this is, this is, the, um, this is what you're supposed to do. And if you don't live up to the standard, then it's a sin. But Adam went one step worse because Adam knew what God commanded and yet willfully disobeyed it. He knew the rules and willfully, deliberately broke them. It's as though God had placed a sign up that said, do not touch or do not enter. And Adam, knowing the sign, seeing the sign, said, I will not obey. He touched what he wasn't supposed to touch. He went where he wasn't supposed to go. And because of that, he knew the good he ought to do and did not do it. Therefore, he trespassed. And from that, all humanity was cursed. But then building from that, Paul then declares another willful, deliberate act by another man that has powerful results for all those who are in him, right? He says, so the act of 
right, so the act of righteousness leads to the justification for all life and for all men. There was another that would represent humanity by doing another single act, and it was the act of Jesus in his righteousness. Just as Adam's disobedience led many to be under the curse, Jesus' death and obedience leading to that, and his death and his righteousness as his res- resurrection actually won righteousness. He fought the battle for righteousness. Jesus came and did the perfect will of his Father. Every single day of his life, he lived in absolute disobedience. And because of that, because of his right living, he can have right standing before God. Because of our wrong living and our wrongdoing, we cannot have right standing before God. But Adam, or, 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 Jesus came to live the perfect life. What makes this so amazing and what makes Jesus even more amazing is that he does not come from the line of Adam. The sin of Adam was not imputed onto Jesus. Why? Because he, Jesus had no earthly father. Jesus had a heavenly father, God, who the virgin birth of Mary allowed God to become flesh and dwell among us. So Jesus himself is able to save us from our sins. Because not only did Jesus live a perfect life, but he went to a cross and on the cross, all of the sin was placed on him. And Jesus endured or bore the wrath of God, was laid in the tomb because he died, and then God raised him from the dead. And because Jesus did the work of righteousness, for those that believe in him, Jesus' righteousness, his right living, and his right standing before God can be imputed on to us. So when God looks at us in our sin and in our shame and our disobedience, God doesn't see us, but sees the righteousness of Jesus that has been imputed to us. So Jesus himself becomes the federal head or the representative for us, those that believe. So if one Man's sin brings death to many. One man's righteousness brings life to many. And I love this because he says, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Where sin was, grace increased all the more. So even in your own life, you may be here today and you're like, man, my life is so full of sin. Like, I I know all that I've done wrong. I know all the ways that I've hurt other people in my life. Is there enough grace for me? Yes, because where your sin is, whatever level your sin is, grace is more. Grace is more. So there's more grace, and there's more grace, and there's more grace, and there's more grace because Jesus has paid the price. God's grace reigns because of, of what Jesus has done. So through Adam, death reigns. But through Jesus, grace reigns. So we end our time together with this third question, or this third statement. In you, who reigns? Look at me in verse 15. We're going to go back up. He says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. 
And the free gift is not like the results of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance, grace, and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So how do we get there? We have to choose. And whom will be our representative? Through the trespass of Adam, will we be condemned? Or through the life of Christ, will we be saved? And I love how what Paul does here, he's, he describes them differently. He says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. You had no, you had no choice in receiving the consequences of the trespass but you have a choice in receiving the free gift. It's not based on what you do. It's not based on the color of your skin. It's not based on how much money you make. It's not how, based on how good or bad you are, but it's based on the free gift that comes from God himself through the person of Jesus. It is a free gift. And just as in Adam, many died through his sin, and yet the grace of God, this is a free gift. It is better in quality and better in excellence that it, can't, that it abounds for many. That means that there is no limit to this free gift of grace. That it is way better than what Adam lost. Through Jesus' active obedience, we receive justification. As I reminded you last week, that means it's as, just as though you've never sinned. That's what you receive when you receive this free gift of grace. In Jesus, death has no victory. In Jesus, eternal life everlasting. Those who receive this abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life. So the question comes back to you. Is Christ your representative this morning? Is he all that you want? Is he all that you need? Are you still trying to be made right with God through your works, through your acts, through your deeds? Because I'll tell you, if that's still you, you're still in Adam. But we have the opportunity for this free gift of grace. So who represents you this morning? Are you following Jesus because of his obedience? Either death is going to reign in your life or grace is going to reign. And I want us to understand that this gift of grace that when in this passage where he's talking about all men, all men, all men, this gift of grace, the work of God does not go out universally. What I mean by that is the righteousness of Christ does not cover every man or every woman that has been given life post-Jesus. Some would believe that. Some would say that, that Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection afforded just as, as sin came through one man, righteousness for all men came through Jesus. This is not what the text is saying because there are other places that, that where he says it's only receiving this gift of grace when you place faith in Jesus. So those that don't place faith in Jesus, these promises are not yours yet, but they can be. 
right? They can be by just an act of faith. Secondly, I want us to help us understand as, as we close this gift of imputation, that Christ's righteousness becomes our own and how that fleshes out our life today if we are in Christ. You know, years ago, there was a time called the Reformation, Right, where there was a, a, a split away from the, the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church was kind of formed because they, they disagreed theologically. And as they worked over the years to try to come back together, the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church said, hey, we're not that, we're not that different. We believe that God is a creator. We believe the sin. We believe in Jesus and all these other things. Over the years, it came on down to one issue that caused the church to say, we are not the same. You know what the issue was? Imputation. The difference between the Protestant church and the Catholic church, I'm not saying that, that Catholics aren't believers. What I'm saying is generically speaking, as you look at the whole, the entirety as a whole, the, the break off in the church became through the, inf, the issue of imputation. For we believe that at the moment of placing faith in Christ, his righteousness is imputed to us. That means it's given to us. He becomes our federal head. But the Catholic church does not believe that. What they teach is the fact that righteousness is not imputed, but righteousness has to continually be earned or gained or received. Right? You receive the grace of God through the sacraments. You receive the grace of God through this. Does that make sense? And so it's a difference. Right? If, if I'm living in the imputation of Christ, I have freedom because he's already done the work. I can't lose it. I can't do more to get more of it. I've already got it. And when I sin, guess what happens? I get more grace and I get more grace and I get more grace because Christ paid all of the costs on, uh, for my sins on the cross. More grace, more grace. If I'm over here, if I'm, Christ's righteousness hasn't been imputed to me, then I gotta continue to work at it. Right, they got to continue to do something in order to continue to receive it. And that's not good. That's going back to, I got to work for it. I got to work for it. I got to work for it. And Christ simply says, just come and lift your hands open wide and receive me. This is the free gift that Jesus offers. So this morning, are you still an Adam? I encourage you to come to the cross of Christ and believe in his work by faith. If you don't know what that means, like I'm gonna be available out in the lobby. I'd love for you to come by and say, Pastor, I, I wanna know more about this Jesus. But for many of us, we are in Christ. You, you know it, you, Christ is your representative, but maybe through this series or maybe through the ex extenuating circumstances of your life, you've stopped walking in the grace of God and you've tried to make your righteousness about your work. Because it's easy. It's easy to try to put up the facade, say the right things, and live the outward way, knowing inside your heart is dying. If that's you here today, then be reminded of in Christ, his righteousness is yours. He's not looking for you to be perfect. He's not looking for you to change your behavior. What he's looking for is you to come fully surrendered, and allowing him to do the work of changing you and transforming you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that your words today are true and your words breathe life to our souls. Father, it is hard 
for people in the world today that want to, to define life apart from you. It is hard for them to hear that they're guilty. We don't want to be people of sin in this time and in this day. I think the greatest sin of our time is to be good. That people somehow think and believe that just by being good that they're made right with you. And Father, today, your word completely contradicts that. You're not looking for us to be good because by our very nature, we are bad. Maybe there's someone here today that's just wrestling with that. That They're like, I'm not a bad person. Help them to see who they truly are so that they can really see the gloriousness of your grace. Father, your grace is all we need for you to not say come and get cleaned up before you come but you say come in your dirtiness in your mess and I will make you clean oh father today I pray that your spirit would move convict us where we need to be convicted encourage us where we need to be encouraged and father help us today not to leave this place unchanged so, Father, as we sing this song, may the words be our worship. Maybe during this time, we use this as an opportunity just to take care of business with you. In these moments, move us, we pray. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.